If you have a Bible, we're going to be in uh, Psalm 115 today. I love the Psalms where we began a series, a six-week series last Sunday because the Psalms remind us of real people praying to and worshiping and singing to a real God. And so there's emotion and there's relationship in the midst of the Psalms, and Psalm 115 is an example of that. If you don't have a good Bible, get one at Guest Connections, but the Psalms are right there in the middle of it. I want to read through the Psalm in its entirety and kind of look at it as a whole, and then we'll work our way back through it in four different parts. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord add to their numbers, both yours and your children's. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has given but the earth he has given to the human race. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor any of those descending into the silence of death, but we will bless the Lord both now and forever. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts your living and active word today. That we would be active hearers and that we would not just be hearers, but we would leave this place as doers of your word seeking to live for your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we exist as a church? Why do we exist as a church? We articulate that answer on the back of your program this way. We exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus who live 3D together. And then below that is a picture of what does 3D living look like. It has these six people and practices. It begins with followers who repent and believe. That in Christ, we are these kind of people. And in Christ, as those kind of people, we live out these kind of practices. And then at the bottom of that picture on the back of your program is reminding us of three different postures that we have as we live 3D. Those postures being dependent on the Spirit, centered on the Gospel, and anchored to the Word. As a church, we are driven by the why. Why do we exist? We exist to bring glory to God. In church life, it's so often the tendency of a church to jump to, what are we going to do? What kind of programs are we going to have? What kind of ministries are we going to have? When are they going to be run? Who's going to lead them? And who's going to serve in those ministries? And when are they going to be held? And, but before we get to the what and the how, we first have to answer that question of why. Why do we exist? Why do this or why don't do that? And we purposely chose to include that phrase at the beginning to bring glory to God, that phrase to remind us it's not about us. It's not about us. Whether it be now 
five years from now, ten years from now. Our why begins with, it must begin with, to bring glory to God. It's not about our name. It's not about our, our little kingdom here on the corner of Route 24 and County Road 1625 East. It's not about me. It's not about any future senior pastor who will be here and their name. Crosspoint Community Church exists to make much of Jesus Christ our chief shepherd. We exist for his name, not ours, his fame, not ours, his kingdom, not ours, his mission, not ours, his purposes, not ours. To bring the Lord glory as we pursue a local and global mission to make disciples. What drives you? What drives you? As a person or as a household, what drives you? What would your, what would your answer to that question of why do you exist? We'll be reminded this morning that not only as the collective group of God's people we are called to bring Him glory, but as individual followers of Jesus Christ we are called to bring Him glory. Every morning when we get up, the question that is before us is this, who are we, who are we going to live for today? Every day we're walking through a multitude of decisions and choices and circumstances where we are faced with the question, who are we going to live for? Whose name are we going to be about in this moment or this day? Is it going to be about us or is it going to be about the Lord? And it's a battle some days, is it not? You're irritated at work. You're irritated at your boss, your coworker. Are you going to choose to live for his glory in that moment and work unto worship for the Lord? Or are you going to slip into gossip and apathy and bitterness? You're in conflict with your spouse. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Are you going to live for His glory and choose to reflect the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness and goodness and go, I'm going to live for Him? Or are you going to go, nope, this is about me, what I want to do? You're with a group of friends or family who, who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Are you going to live for his glory and reflect the fullness of his grace and his truth or are you just going to blend in with the world in hopes that no one rejects you or no one notices who you are every day is an opportunity for us to wake up throw a stake in the ground and say my life is going to be about jesus christ today my life is going to be about his name his glory it's not going to be about me because galatians 2 20 I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live for his glory alone. But how do we do that? What does that look like Monday through Friday? Well, one reason I love the word of God is how applicable and relevant it is to our daily life. No matter what culture says, the Word is always speaking into our daily lives. It is always contemporary because Hebrews 4.12 says it is living and active. So we're going to work our way through Psalm 115 and look at it through four different parts. Verses 1 through 3 is a call to live for His glory alone, to trust in and worship God alone. And then the rest of the psalm is kind of giving us an example of, all right, how, how do we do that? Verses 4 through 8, we live for His glory by rejecting idol worship, by not trusting in idolatry. Verses uh, 9 through 15, we, trust, we instead trust in the Lord 
who will bless. And then the final three verses, we do that now and forever. So verses 1 through 3 again, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. So the songwriter here starts off with the with repetition, not to us, not to us. Why? Because we are so prone to make it about us. And we need that repetition. Repetition, if you're a parent, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a human, the reason you repeat things is because you want them to be heard. You want them to be not just heard, but received. Only the Lord deserves glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, written in the 17th century, answers the question of what is the chief end of man So what's the why of man? It answers that question with this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why is the Lord only deserving of glory and praise and not us? Well, because, as verse 1 says, His faithful love and truth. Throughout the Old Testament, we are given this description of the Lord. It shows up elsewhere. Exodus 34, 6 being an example In the CSB, it translates Exodus 34, 6 as, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. The ESV translation says it it this way, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Meaning the Lord keeps His promises to His chosen people in spite of, of their sin and rebellion. The Lord is deliberate in His love. He is faithful forever. He is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. His character is unchanging, and He will not forsake, and He will not walk out on His people. He deserves all the glory for His amazing and unending and unbreakable grace. And yet there are some, at the time of this psalm being written, and to this day, who mock the Lord and the Lord's people, saying, where's your God? If your God is so great, show me where he is. To which the psalmist replies in verse 3, our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. In Isaiah 46, the Lord says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Our God is sovereign. He's beyond time and space. Nothing limits our God. The phrase, does whatever he pleases, might give us the impression that he is moody or randomly just doing this or that depending on the day. Like if you were to say, well, Dave does whatever he pleases, you'd probably say, is that, is that a good thing that he does that? But here we got to keep in mind the Lord's character that verse 1 speaks of, his faithful love and truth. He's good in every single way. Nothing is beyond him. So the things he does, the things that please him, the actions are all compelled by, driven by, in accordance with his faithful love and truth. So then even evil, the Lord is able to turn it about for good. Genesis 50, verse 20, being an example of that. The the whole story of Joseph being an example of that. A story that then points us forward to the gospel and the cross. And the cross is the greatest example of that. The greatest injustice ever occurred. The innocent one dying for the guilty ones. 
And yet the book of Acts tells us it was all part of God's good and providential and sovereign will, a will that was dictated by His faithful love and truth, a will that was set on people to rescue them, restore them, reconcile them. Not to us, Lord, but to Your name give glory. So how do we live for His glory? How do we bring His glory and reflect His glory day in and day out in our lives? The first truth, don't trust in idols. Verses 4 through 8, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So what's an idol? Well, in short, it's anything that's more important to us than God. It's what we place above God. It's what we are more concerned about serving than the Lord. It's what consumes our thoughts and attentions. It's what we bow down to rather than our God. It's what we run to when we are stressed. It's what we turn to to try to find meaning or purpose. It's what we look to for power rather than looking to a God who's able to do whatever He pleases. And I think it's easy for us to fool ourselves into thinking we don't have idols. If I just had you write down a list of your priorities on your, on your program, you'd, you're in a church building, so you'd probably say, oh, the Lord is my number one priority. I'm much more concerned about not what you would write down, but what you would live out in your daily life. When you walk with friends, when you walk into work, when you walk into school, when you walk back into home today. Romans 1.25, speaking of idols, tells us that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. We are prone to worship creation rather than the Creator. Our sinful hearts are inclined to worship false idols rather than the one true God of the Bible. And I think when we hear the word idol, we immediately think of, and this psalm speaks to this, is little silver or golden statues or Greek gods or goddesses or tribal worship of worshiping creatures made of wood or stone. And we think that is ridiculous. Of course, we shouldn't worship those these things in our lives. We shouldn't have a little golden statue on the mantle that we bow down and worship in the morning. But what is equally ridiculous is you and I thinking that just a little bit more money will make me happy. Or we'll find value at work, we'll find purpose at work if we get a promotion. Or that if we can get, if we can ever get so-and-so to love me, then I'll find security and peace. Or if I can discover a spouse and be married someday, then I'll find fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment. Or if I can get rid of the current spouse I have, then I will find fulfillment and peace. Or if my child excels at sports, arts, or academics, if they are seen with significance in the community or in the school, then I as a parent have significance and purpose, and I am seen as successful as a parent. John Calvin said the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. So all of us are prone to try to trust in idols 
rather than, the tr- rather than trust in a God of faithful love and truth. So I'm not very concerned about you and me worshiping little wooden gnomes on shelves at home. I'm not saying we're above it. I'm much more concerned, though, and I think that sometimes we are naive to think that our hearts are not prone to idol worship, prone to set things up as as greater than the Lord and worship them and give them greater attention and greater devotion and greater affection. In relation to our physical health, sometimes the things that cause us the greatest sickness go undetected for a long stretch of time. The thing that has sat underneath the surface and we are wondering why we're getting sick all the time. Well, the same goes spiritually speaking. These idols do not lead to a place or a life that lives for God, God's glory. They actually lead to unhealth and sickness. And so I pray the Lord may expose some things in us today. Timothy Keller, a pastor and author, writes this regarding idolatry. Why do we lie or fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful. But the specific answer is that there is something besides Jesus Christ that we feel we must have to be happy. Something that is more important to our heart than God. Something that is enslaving our heart through excessive desires. The key to change and even to self-understanding, he writes, is therefore to identify the idols of the heart. So what are some examples? Well, since Calvin said the human heart is a perpetual factory for idols, the list is too long for today. This week in the Connection Link email, you will see a blog post from J.D. Greer as he works through the fruit of the Spirit as an idolatry detection test, he calls it, asking nine questions. It's also going to show up on our Facebook page. It would be worthy of your time to consider, whether it be by yourself or with a spouse, with a friend, a community group, good questions to consider as we examine our hearts. So today, I'd simply want to talk through five categories. This is not an all-inclusive list, but five categories of idols that we are prone to to try to find our uh, ultimate steadiness or ultimate peace or satisfaction in because I'm a pastor, they start with all the same letter, as if that will help you remember them. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I did it anyways. This is the way they came to my mind. Power, possessions, positions, pleasure, and then people. The idol of power. If I can just be in control, if I can be on top of the food chain, if I can be on top of the pyramid, if I can just call the shots, if they would do what I want them to do, if I could take this matter into my own hands, if I could be the one in charge, then my life would be blessed. Then this thing would get right. The idol of possessions. If I just had more money, or the latest whatever, the newer vehicle, the better home, the better apartment, then my life would find satisfaction. It would be steady and blessed. Or on the flip side, if you're prone to be a saver, you just heard all that and you go, well, see, I'm not prone to possessions. I'm a saver. But you find your trust in your investment portfolio. 
You find your trust in your bank statement. The Lord calls you to give generously, and you're like, I don't know. And you're trusting. That gets exposed in you, that you're trusting in what you have and your ability to control what you have rather than ultimately surrender that to the Lord. What about the category of positions in life? So we begin to worship a particular position an age. When I get to that age, a career move, the position of independence, a position of a particular marital status, and we'll do whatever it takes to get there. Thinking that when we get there, it will lead us to steadiness. So thinking of marital status, if we're married, we go, boy, if I'm just free from this bad marriage, or if I was single again, or if I was able to be married to that person, then, then I would find peace. Then I would find joy. Or if I were just married and no longer single, then I'd never feel alone. And we begin to pursue a position in life, falsely thinking that that is where our help is going to come from. We exalt it to a place of worship. The idol of pleasure. So we find ourselves running to escapes to try to deal with stress or pain or try to find rest in. So we run to food or alcohol or pain meds or drugs, both legal and illegal ones. We run to some form of sexual immorality or impurity, try to find our joy. We get the momentary pleasure, the excitement, the emotion, the endorphin release. And then that endorphin, that emotion, it fades easily by the morning. We come back and we go, I need something better. And it just begins to spiral downward. More and more destructive as we continue to chase the next highest pleasure to try to deal with our pain. And finally, there's the category of idolizing people themselves, including ourselves. So we worship us and become all about me, or we worship a celebrity, or in 2020, you might be prone to worship a politician, and we put our trust in them. We put our ultimate trust in them to fix what we think needs to be fixed. Or we worship the boyfriend or girlfriend, and we make all these compromises trying to cling to them because we're trusting in them. We worship the praise of other people. And so we don't live our faith out publicly because we're fearful of what people will say. Some of you still idolize your parents. And so the Lord's called you to this, whatever this is. And you go, ah, but what are my parents going to say? And you're idolizing your parents. You're exalting them greater than, than the Lord. You're saying, I'm more committed to my devotion to them rather than the Lord and His Word. See, idols don't always appear destructive or sinful on the surface. They can be seemingly good things. Saving money, not a bad thing. Working hard at work for a promotion, not a bad thing. Praying for and pursuing a godly spouse, not a bad thing. Honoring your father and mother, not a bad thing. But when we start bowing down and trusting in, in these things, rather than our God who's forever praised, it's idol. It's idol worship. Verse 4 says, The idols of these people who were saying, Oh, where is your God? These idols are made of silver and gold, so they're the best of the best. These are not second rate. These are the ones who supposedly could do so much, and yet the songwriter here is calling out how they are worthless. 
How foolish it is to trust in them and think that they are worthy of our trust. It's all about the word cannot in this section. Again, repeated for emphasis. Idols cannot speak, cannot see, cannot hear, cannot smell, cannot feel, cannot walk, cannot make a sound over and over and over. Cannot. This is what defines them. Worthless, lifeless. The ungodly were mocking the godly, saying, oh, tell me where your God is. And the songwriter here is mocking them of, your idol cannot do anything. Verse 8, those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. We become like what we worship. So, when we worship power, we can become domineering. When we worship the position of independence, we become self-centered. When we worship possessions, we become discontent or greedy or stingy or hoarding. When we worship people, we can become fearful of people and the fear of man. We slip into that. Or we begin to worship pleasure and we, we slip into addiction. And as verse 4 says, all these things are made by human hands, meaning they are below us. They're below you. So when we worship things that are below us, it brings us lower. One author said, false worship is not innocent. It's demoralizing. And ultimately, the worshipers will perish together with their perishable idols. False worship robs us of our joy in Christ. It enslaves. It entangles. So how do we bring God glory alone? Well, we don't trust in idols. And these day-by-day decisions we are faced with and tempted to, we reject that. We rebuke the idol. We say, no, you're going to go back to the melting pot and you're not going to be recast again. We're turning away from you. We are repenting from you in this moment or in this day. And at the same time, then we turn toward the Lord. We don't just turn away from the things of our heart or our flesh or this earth, but we turn then toward the Lord and walk in obedience to Him and see that He is infinitely better that he is faithful in love that he is true and he is good verses 9 through 15 israel trust in the lord he is their help and shield house of aaron trust in the lord he is their help and shield you who fear the lord trust in the lord he is their help and shield the lord remembers us and will bless us he will bless the house of israel he will bless the house of aaron he will bless those who fear the lord Small and great alike, may the Lord add to your numbers, both yours and your children's. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And here we see this real clear contrast between the insufficiency of idols and the complete sufficiency of our God. God made everything. Idols had to be made. God is in heaven. Idols are upon the earth. God is able to do anything. Idols can do nothing. God speaks, idols are mute. God hears, idols are deaf. God can, idols cannot. Again, it's repeated for emphasis. Trust in the Lord, for He is our help and shield. Three times over. And notice it is trust in the Lord. Not just trust the Lord in this general vague way, but believers in Christ trust in the Lord. Think of that, the movies... Think of that scene of the one reaching down to rescue the other one. Take my hand. 
take my hand. You can trust me. Put your hand into mine. What doesn't happen in those movies that I remember is the person saying, I trust you, but no. No, you place your hand into theirs. It's relationship. It's covenant. Believers put our trust in Christ, in His perfect life, in His sacrificial and atoning death, in His resurrection on the third day, in His second coming. Years ago when our kids were, they were nine and seven, we went on a summer vacation to Branson because when you're in the Midwest, you just you got to take some summer vacation to Branson at some point. Um, just feels like a rite of passage. And on that vacation, uh, the kids saw the Sky Coaster thing. And some of you instantly know what I'm talking about because they're all throughout um, these kind of places, whether it be Branson, Wisconsin Dells, Six Flags, Pigeon Forge, all these kind of places. Gulf Shores, let me just keep going through the list. Um, so it's part bungee cord, part swing. So they got all harnessed in, laying like Superman. The crane, yes, a crane, pulls them up, way back up into the air, holds them there, I don't know, maybe three, four stories up in the air, holds them there to kind of build suspension, build anxiety, both in those on the ground as well as those in the air, holds them there for a few seconds and then releases them. They free fall for three or four seconds and then they come screaming by the bottom, literally screaming by the bottom, and just back and forth, back and forth until their momentum eventually stops. They were nine and they were seven. Okay? They were tall enough to get on the ride. We thought, what better way to promote brother and sister bonding than why don't you guys go on up there, snuggle up and fly? We got looks from other parents. Some of you are judging me now. They're still doing fine. It's 11 years later. They're doing fine. Nearly 12 years later, still doing fine. You can judge me. That's fine. We didn't think anything of it, truly. We're like, that seems legit. <laughs> it didn't come in on a trailer. Let's do it. That cable looks good, looks, looks solid, looks trustworthy. It's a whole nother thing to say, here are the children in whom we love. Fly, birdies, fly. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Why? He is our help and shield. True believers in Christ go all in. Don't believe this nonsense, this utter nonsense that you can call yourself a Christian and actually not trust in Christ. That you can stand at a distance and go, that cable looks pretty good. Crane looks good. I think we're pretty good. And not actually harness yourself in and say, I'm all in. I'm going to fly. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. Don't believe this nonsense that you can call yourself a Christ follower and stand at a distance and go, yeah, that seems true. And not actually go all in. And not actually say, here's my life. Here's my future. And here's my day-to-day life. And then I love verses 12 through 15 reminding us of the character of our God. He remembers and He will bless our God as a God of faithful love and truth. Brother and sister in the Lord, He won't forget you. Small and great alike. You see that phrase? It's like this reminder. No one's missed. 
In the family of God, no one's missed. He's not walked out on you. He will never forget you. We see that in the past. We see it throughout the Old Testament. Past faithfulness reminds us of present and future faithfulness. Notice the psalmist takes us all the way back. Verse 15, our God is the maker of heaven and earth. He's faithful from Genesis to Malachi into the New Testament with the coming of Christ. The resurrection shouts to us that he won't leave you buried in a tomb. That his resurrection guarantees the future resurrection of every person who is trusted in Christ. Why would we look to idols who were defined by the word cannot to bless us? Why would we look to idols who were defined by the word cannot to be our help or our worthless shield? One commentary said this, his abundant mercy, his faithful commitment, his unstoppable power and his steadfast love provide his people with a basis of full assurance of his care for them. How do we live for his glory alone? Well, we reject trusting in idols. We instead trust in the Lord and we do this now and forever, verses 16 through 18. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the human race. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, but any of those descending into, nor any of those descending into the silence of death, but we will bless the Lord, both now and forever, hallelujah. Both now and forever, both in Monday through Friday life, in Sunday morning life, present day life, and into eternity. C.S. Lewis said this, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Only through Jesus Christ can we discover true contentment and rest for our souls. Our longing souls will never discover true satisfaction until we turn to Him and live fully devoted to Him for His glory alone. Loved ones, what is at your altar? What is at your altar? When you get up in the morning, what are you bowing down to? What idol or idols has the Lord exposed as a false place to put your trust in? Is it power? Is it position, possessions, pleasure, people? Something else? What have you tried to place upon the throne of your life thinking it was worthy of glory? Whatever it is, Psalm 115 tells us, it cannot bless, it cannot help, it cannot be your shield, it cannot be your salvation, it cannot be trusted. If the worship team could come back up, as they come back up, I would like us all to stand if we would. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like you to turn around and just face the back wall, face away from the stage, face away from me, face away from the cross. Loved ones, again, I ask us the question, what's at your altar? What's at your altar? What idol has the Lord truthfully and lovingly reminded you that it cannot? To repent means to agree with the Lord, agree with His Word, where we have disagreed with Him to have a change of mind and agree with His Word, align our lives with His Word, and 
that mind change leads then to a life change, a direction change. To repent means to turn around and fix our eyes on the cross and His resurrection. So now as we go to prayer and return to singing, you got something in your mind as you consider what is at the altar of your life? I'd like for us to turn around as this physical picture of repentance and faith. Father, we call to you, Lord. We call to you. We turn to you, both in our minds and our hearts and in our way of life. And we say, Lord, not to us. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. We worship you for who you are and that you are faithful in love, faithful in truth, that you are able to do whatever pleases you. Nothing is beyond you, and we confess our idolatry today. Thank you for the reminder from this psalm of the utter unworthiness of idols and how they're defined by the word cannot. Thank you that you are not defined by that word. You are defined by the word able and willing and power and love I thank you that you're not forgetful, that you remember your people, that you are our help and our shield. We ask for your mighty power to be on display as we repent from idolatry, not just in this moment, but in the day-to-day life this week and the months to come. We want our daily lives to show and tell of your glory and goodness. We want the life of this church to show and tell of your glory and goodness, so may by your spirit and by your grace and your power, may it come to pass and may it be for your glory now and forevermore. Hallelujah. We praise you. We worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.